0: Welcome to the Coffee and Conversation podcast, the podcast that celebrates great people making amazing things happen. This podcast series provides a space for some fabulous people to share their stories and find a voice within our ever-changing world. It is a space that simply encourages sparky conversations, because there is most definitely always something to be learned from every interesting conversation, however unscripted. At its heart, this podcast is built on the belief that each of us experiences the world in our own unique way meaning that we all have our own story to share. The Coffee and Conversation podcast aims to uncover a range of perhaps previously unheard stories in an informal, engaging way, so that we can all connect, explore, grow and learn from the great people behind these tales. Happy listening. On today's episode of the Coffee and Conversation podcast, I'm joined by Simon Toole, a lover of all things sport. Simon combines volunteer roles in hockey coaching coach education and has his club youth convener with a full-time role in coach development at Sport Northern Ireland. Passionate about supporting coaches to create great experiences of sport for children and young people, Simon also has an interest in how groups of people function together to be more than the sum of their parts. Welcome to this week's edition of the Coffee and Conversation podcast. Um, Today I am joined by Simon Toole who is somewhere over in the middle of Belfast Um, and I as ever am in my, um, actually no, I'm in my lounge today looking out at a sort of grey muggy uh, Scotland um, but as ever with a cup of coffee. Um, So welcome Simon and uh, so give us, so I wasn't really very helpful in my description of somewhere in the middle of Belfast.
1: Yeah so thanks Jane, thanks for having me on. So uh, I am in Lisbon which is about nine miles outside of Belfast in my do- three-year-old daughter's bedroom because that's where my office has been for the f- past four or five months
0: um so yeah that's where that's where i am okay that explains and, and we can see each other because we're on zoom that explains the uh, color of the walls perhaps uh, yes and uh, you
1: haven't quite seen but all the <laughs> uh, teddy, all the teddy bears that are in the background too they're not mine
0: well i actually have to confess i'm sat, i'm not sat at my usual desk because um my husband's working at home today so he has the office and I'm in the lounge and I have had to move um several furry toys from the back of the video um not for this conversation necessarily but I have had a meeting this morning where I thought maybe the first impression of meeting me seeing kind of a cuddly moose on this side and a cuddly <laughs> reindeer on the other perhaps didn't give the best impression but who knows maybe it would have been more entertaining for those uh, those I was talking to to get an insight into the real me. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, we're going to chat uh, throughout this sort of next half hour on a bit of return to coaching, a bit of returning to to club life in terms of uh, your sporting experiences. Um, But as ever, we will start with um, a quote that you have brought along and I believe you've brought a little poem.
1: Yeah, so I think I was obviously just can't stay by your rules when you say quote and I go, okay, yeah, can I use a poem? But um, I think if I was going to give a quick quote, it was one that um, Sarah Kelleher used um, a few weeks ago, which I think she may have made up herself. But um, it was through hard work comes magic, so that would be the quick quote. But yeah, I'd said to you about um, this poem that Bob Muir from Leeds Beckett University had shared with me um, in February of this of this year. Was the first time that I'd seen it, and, and I'd heard different people use different lines from it previously. Um, but yeah, it's. I think it probably speaks to different people in different ways, um, or maybe even me in different ways um, some days, but there's some three or four lines of it that, um, that definitely make a lot of sense for me. So the poem is, um, it, with certainly the image and the title beside it is uh, Set the World on Fire, and it's, it's drawn from an article by Jennifer Lentfer, um, which is entitled Here's to the, dis- the-, here's to the Disruptors. Um, so the poem is May You Never Be Satisfied With, because that's the way it's always been done. May you seek to transform frustration and exasperation into what if and I wonder. May you be able to hear yourself at times, reconnect with your deepest instincts and know when you are pushing too hard, too loud or fast. May you have the grace to give yourself a break at times just to listen, be a lamp, a lifeboat or a ladder. Be the truth you offer. May the truths you offer be helpful, necessary and kind. disruptors may you never shy away from your own integrity sometimes it's all we have and probably the the things that stand out for me mostly um relate to my want um to always be trying to do things in a slightly different way um and boredom with things that have to be done in the same way um my consciousness of my own frustration (laughs) and exasperation um, and the the trouble that that gets me into at times um uh, my recent consciousness of around pushing too hard um or too fast um to get things done um and also I know right at the the start of, of some of the conversations we started to have two years ago um I had talked about trying to be trying to make what you say count and not just talk for the sake of talking, which is really not a good thing to say at the start of a podcast. <laughs> um but uh yeah that bit around may the truth you offer be helpful and necessary and, and kind and and trying to think, trying to say things that will mean something and any give it given situation and actually be useful rather than just talking for talking talking sake. But yeah, podcast I, I won't stick to that really
0: Excellent. Well probably. and I love that part and I hadn't seen it before. You you did share it with me just before we were we were talking and and I, I, I really like it. And I've kind of made a few notes. Um, and I'm going to be looking up looking up the history of the disruptors as well. And and maybe it's and what, what comes to mind straight away is this idea that um, here we are in a time where our world's been pretty much turned upside down in the last six months. Um, and so actually, we aren't able to be satisfied with the status quo. <laughs> you know what as ever my mum has my mum has uh oh hang on I've just accidentally pressed accept as well so so mum sorry I can't talk to you now I'm recording a podcast (laughs) and that's that's the second time that's happened so we will leave that in Um, I
1: thought sure that was going to be me that disrupted things instead of you that's good no
0: so I'm a disruptor actually it's my mum you can guarantee she'll she'll send me a she'll send me a message or something I'll go oh no um, but yeah, so this idea that you know for, uh, the world, is, the rule book for the world almost has been thrown up, torn up, and thrown away in the last six months. Um, so we can't be satisfied with the status quo because that doesn't really exist. So it kind of feels like it's quite an apt, you know, for whatever else we end up talking about in this next half hour. There's something that sort of as we as we're returning to a little bit of normality, which we will start talking about in terms of sport and coaching, we can't just accept what we used to do because it doesn't work. Um, so that really, yeah, that that's something that I've sort of that's suddenly in my head um, sparked, as well as this idea of be a lamp, a lifeboat, or a ladder. Um, that feels quite um, connected with what you just talked about in terms of wanting to, you know, make sure you're supportive and help and helpfulness and kindness. That feels quite um, quite appropriate, I think, for for the times we're in now.
1: Yeah, and that that line, the last line you highlighted there was one that I heard Andrew Gillett actually um, reference as part of the poem. I, I didn't realise the rest of it was there um, at that stage, but he had talked about it on UK Coaching Podcast and, and definitely that, that line really um, stood out to me at that stage as well around, yeah, sometimes I think it's, it's really, you can be quick to judge and people and coaches and all sorts of things without necessarily always understanding and and obviously taking that line of well, actually how do we help people as Mm. opposed to just judge them
0: yeah absolutely and I think you know you know we've been talking actually probably on and off for many many years from past lives as as you know in when I was working in golf and and different things but particularly over the last couple of years and some of the conversations that we've had around yeah they've been very much around your sort of work context and and work persona um but interestingly, I suppose for this conversation, this came up when we were chatting last week. And actually, it's the maybe it's the the bit that perhaps people don't see or don't know, and, and actually, that we'll explore a little bit today in terms of your role as a, a hockey coach and somebody who's got a key role within a hockey club. And so, it, from one hand, professionally, you're experiencing this return to sport um, after you know, the COVID pandemic from a kind of, I suppose, a structural and governance perspective, but actually you're in the heart of it. Um, you know, come, well, it's not, I was going to say come five o'clock when you switch your work laptop off, but working in sport, that's never the case. Um, but, you know, it's what happens after that, when you, you know, your experiences of actually being right in the middle of, of having to work out, well, how on earth do we go back to, to playing some sort of sport? Um, and it's not just what you see on the pitch it's all of the stuff that has to happen to enable that activity um, to happen. So, so yeah, I'm just interested in how you've experienced that and some of the things as a, will I get this term right, junior convener? Is that the right term?
1: Yeah, something along those lines, yeah. Um, Yeah, it's been
0: interesting. I was going to say, so what what does that mean? Give us an idea of what being a junior convener in a club means.
1: So I have just taken on this role about... Uh, a month ago or so. Um, that it means that um, I am now responsible for all of the stuff that happens around our junior program. So um, the youngest uh, we have come to the hockey club um, are three years old um, and then they really start getting, um, I suppose, becoming members of the club and things in around seven. Um, and right through to everything that we do at under 15 when the kids transition into the adult Mm -hmm. Um, section of the club so it's I I knew it was quite big Um, I knew how much was involved in the role Um, but it was only actually a couple of days ago that I just worked out how many people are involved in that so uh, at the minute there are 387 kids um, in that um, from seven years to 15 years and there are 51 coaches So yeah, it's pretty pretty big. Um, So we've got a whole team of people at at the hockey club to try and help put that together, and hopefully that team will get even bigger to make sure um, that things actually get done, Uh, as opposed to me just drowning uh, in in the role. But yeah, it's um, yeah, there's a fair a fair bit to it. Um, And yeah, as you say, the big focus at the minute for us is about how do we get 387 people on the or kids on the pitch a hockey pitch in uh in line with covid restrictions and and all the different bits and pieces Mm. that go along with that
0: so what you know so if this was a normal season going into a normal um you know this would be the summer break and you'd kind of be building up to that new new season i'm guessing you know what would a normal um sort of i don't know training week look like in terms of getting those 387 kids on a on a pitch
1: yeah, so that actually amazingly happens normally in a normal time. That, that happens within a three-hour window. So two hours on a Friday night and one hour on a Saturday. Uh, and then obviously they have their, their little tournaments and matches and things that they go to, uh, which are mostly on Sundays. Um, so yeah, that, that happens. We're really, really fortunate at the club in that we've got two pitches, um, which the club own, which we, which we can get access to at, at those times. Uh, and we can get them all through. Um, it mightn't be as much pitch space as we would like to get them for, but, yeah, traditionally, that's where it's always been, and uh, that's not possible to do that um, now. So, yeah, now is really looking at timetabling and seeing when we can get them on. So um, we're almost there. We're in the last two or three little problems to sort out, I think, to, to get to that. But, yeah, it's going to mean spreading the program out um, across a Monday night, uh, Friday night, Saturday, and Sunday, um, now to get because our, our current restrictions would have us 30 on a pitch um, and in groups of 10, so three groups of 10, which includes the coaches. And um, so when you divide that down, it's like 43, 44 slots or something like that that we've, um, training slots that we've got to do. So um, yeah, it's going to be different. But also, I think it, it gives us loads of opportunity um, going forward. So we, because we're sort of confined to those three hours traditionally, um, then we've got kids on a, on a waiting list maybe to come into the program and actually if we could just up our coaching workforce very slightly um, by using those extra slots when when the restrictions aren't in place we should be able to let every kid who wants to come and play hockey at the club come and play hockey because we can sort of up our capacity by um, by a third probably um, just by making the changes that we're going to make And um, for COVID then when the restrictions go we should, should be in a really good place hopefully.
0: So that's, it's quite interesting. It's almost to start with. It's quite daunting to think how on earth, when we've got this, you know, we're being restricted now, so we can't do what we did normally. So thinking about going back to your, we are the you know the disruptors, and you know not being accepting of status quo, almost you've been forced to make that change. But the p- potential benefit going forward is that you're able to keep some of those positive changes and you know grow the access to to a sport which is. You know, when we're really trying to all collectively and support drive participation and encourage more people, um, I'm thinking, wow, it's great that you've got a waiting list. You know, that's brilliant. The fact that you're your, the demand is there. Um, and actually, if you can, you've kind of gone, okay, if we can just do this, then actually we can make that provision much more readily available.
1: Yeah. It's, I mean, the, the waiting list thing, in some ways, it's a good thing because, yeah, absolutely, people want to play. And in another way, it's a, not a great thing because you're, you're nearly telling people, "Oh no, we don't have we don't have room for you." You know, you can't you can't play. And, and I would love to be saying to everybody, "You can." And I think we can definitely get to that position. Um, our our coaching uh, workforce within the youth and um, many sections of the club is entirely voluntary, really. Um, so it's really trying to entice and look after the people that we that we have. And then we've got a as as most um, voluntary sports clubs, we have we've got a, a parent coach cycle. Uh, where we'll get people maybe in for four years while their kids are there, or eight years ideally, uh, while their kids are there, and then there'll be the odd one who stays on a little bit longer than that. So we've got to keep, uh, I suppose, an eye on on that, and when new kids are coming in, have they got parents who can help out? And I suppose that's been one of the things actually around COVID, where I think as a sports club, it's, it's really easy to think sometimes about who's got the skills to coach or the attributes to coach. Um, uh, but actually, there's been other people who might also be quite good coaches, but who've come through with amazing skill sets, uh, which we maybe did know about, but we didn't realise just how useful they could be until we ended up in the middle of COVID. And um, so we had um, a medical doctor who was really involved in um, in some of the response to COVID um, in Northern Ireland, um, who's become our COVID coordinator, and the insight that they're bringing to this, and, and what they've brought to the role and their expertise has been amazing and just not something that, you know, four or five months ago we ever have thought would have been a thing that was really needed in the sports club. Uh, and we've had a software developer um, who's, who's been at the club for a number of years. And between them, they've actually put together like a contact tracing app um, for the club and they register, they self-declare that they don't have the symptoms and, and they turn up and they get verified at the club. And it means we can trace every single person who comes through the gate um, at any time should should we have an instance where we, we need to go and do that um, so yeah that's the skill sets around the club I think that's been a real reminder that it's not just about coaches as well it's um, it's all sorts of people with all sorts of skills um, and I think we need to do more probably to tap into those um, as a club as most sports clubs probably could say the same thing I would, I would think
0: and again maybe it comes back to that idea of you know things have been shaken up so you sort of you know, inevitably we get into a routine in things um, and accept that actually this is this is what a typical week at a hockey club or this is what a typical experience looks and feels like and we sort of you know we unconsciously often just get into that groove and kind of it works so why why shift it and it takes something um, fairly significant to you know have to sit there and go oh okay well we can't we we physically cannot do what we used to do so what resources have we got? How, could, how on earth can we do this? Um, and also maybe there's something about uh, you know, creating that environment where people feel able to kind of go, oh, actually, I could offer this. Um, and realising that their skills are valuable because perhaps previously the doctor and the software, they were there just to play hockey because it was their free time and their spare time. But suddenly going, oh, actually, yeah, I can help with that. I could contribute to that. That feels quite um, important, particularly when you know, I've not, I've not been to your club, I've not experienced it, but certainly from our conversations, it feels like it's a quite a big community sort of spirit within the the club, partly because of your facilities and the environment, but also that's the people that can create that community spirit.
1: No, definitely, definitely. And I think, I mean, we did a, and from a work perspective, we did, we did a club survey um, recently across Northern Ireland. a pretty good sample, a pretty good representative sample across the country and, uh, one of the things that came out of it unsurprisingly was around you know one of the biggest challenges for sports clubs was was volunteers and and getting and keeping enough volunteers which for every whether it's Sport and Recreation Alliance or, or CCPR before that every single club survey I've ever seen that's been one of the biggest issues um, and I don't know if we've we've quite cracked it I don't know if we ever will get to the point where that's not an issue um, because we are asking people to give up their time and and get involved but definitely creating that environment that you're talking about i think would would really help um uh but it doesn't probably happen by itself you know it, it's got to probably be quite uh proactive around that and i wouldn't say that we're there we're probably still in a position of going like we'd really like people to help out and uh, maybe we've got to get a little bit more specific about actually you you will have a skill set um, that will be useful to us and um you know we'd really like you to get involved and and stay involved and, and looking after people as well that, are, that are there I think um all too often um too few people do too many things in, in sports clubs and then become burned out and it's about how can we get more people doing less things that mm. you know, keep them a bit fresher for um for a longer time
0: yeah. and I've got I suppose there's two questions that are that's bringing to mind that I'll maybe explore with you um first one I suppose is around your own experiences of returning to the pitch because we've talked about the environment and creating that and the challenges as a junior convener um but you're also one of the coaches who turns up on a well used to be friday night and saturday morning um you know what what have you noticed about the differences between potentially having 30 kids that you're coaching and now you know a much smaller group where perhaps you can't do as much i don't know where you are with contact and things like that whether that's back in you know what's your experience as a coach in terms of Know, having to think differently and, and keep people engaged for the same amount of time?
1: Yeah, so our our restrictions on the pitch at the minute um aren't actually too bad. So as you say, we're we're down, so we're um groups of ten, nine maximum nine players and a on a coach. Um we have lots of social distancing, lots of protocols for getting kids on and off the pitch, where they store their kit, their water bottles and things like that. Um one-way systems on and off the pitch um, and as I say that that sort of uh, tracing up um before before they ever arrive but the biggest change as a coach at the minute because we're contact uh, training is is permitted um has been just smaller numbers so it's actually been amazing it's um we did the month of July um back uh, then we're taking August off with the EU session because we really didn't feel that we could ask volunteer coaches to coach from July one year to the start of May or or mid-April the following year. Um, So we decided, look, we'll take April off. Um, But the kids love being back in July. And I I know some survey work that we had done um, from a work perspective, clubs were concerned, and this may well be a valid concern, about coaches having the break and then really liking their free time and maybe not coming back. Uh, and I'm sure that is has been the case for some people and I've heard some individual um, stories where that definitely has been the case. Uh, I got a real buzz out of being back on the pitch. I really, really did. Uh, I enjoyed it more than I've ever enjoyed it before. Possibly because we were coaching in the warmth of July rather than the temperatures in December. <laughs> uh, maybe a factor on it as well. But yeah, I really enjoyed it. Um, felt you got really quality time with kids because it was such a small group compared to... We would, we would normally sort of split our group maybe in the group three subgroups within our group anyway um, but you we might only have that group for 10 or 15 minutes and they move on and we get the next group round uh, whereas you know we, we got the full hour with them and um, I know I'm a real, real big fan of the I coach kids um, stuff and um, some of the uh, work that they've been talking about is just about that interaction with every child in every session um, and that's a real challenge when you're seeing them for such a small period of time or you've got 25 Um, players on a pitch and you've only got an hour to get around them But when actually when you're coaching eight or nine kids you can really do that and so I I I absolutely loved it to be honest I really really it was as as much as I've enjoyed coaching in in a long long time which is funny given the um, given the circumstances but yeah it's been on the pitch it's nearly normal it's just smaller groups and and that's that's a good thing I think as a as a coach because we can spend lots of time and um, with with individual kids from the more administrative role it's a it's a, a real challenge just because you're trying to fit them all um all in but yeah it's been uh, it's been good on that front
0: have you noticed or have you had to you know think about shifting practices so perhaps you haven't been able to just take the sessions that you did previously with bigger numbers you know are there things you've had to think about to think oh okay actually i can't quite do this how i would maybe have previously done it so i need to shift this practice or i need to adjust this so um it works with smaller numbers or you know have, they, have you know what what's your thought process has been in, in that sense
1: yeah it's mixed yes and no um the first week back um was i found it a real challenge um because at that that week we weren't allowed, the guidance hadn't been changed to allow contact training at that stage. So we were really only allowed isolated practice, um, which obviously has its place for every coach. But my default is generally speaking to see if I can do something through, through a game, because I find it so much easier to engage, engage the kids in that way. And obviously you do have to dip into isolated practice to, um, to do certain things, but to coach only in that way, uh, it felt like um sort of losing losing uh your uh, your uh, right arm nearly. Um, to coach, so yeah, I find that really tricky, and it, it made me very conscious of maybe my reliance on on game design and activity design, um, that I have to engage kids because the engagement of of the players was. Um, it was a real challenge and I suppose there's other factors in there too and that maybe hadn't seen each other for three or four months in fact they maybe hadn't seen anybody outside of their household for three or yeah. four months so,
0: so priority one was managing excitement levels
1: yeah and I suppose you, you want that don't you you yeah. want, uh, want kids to come and be pleased to see each other and, and things like that but um, yeah that first week was a real challenge and it, it did certainly make me very aware of actually um, come into the, the following week about right actually how did I design this in a way that's really engaged? and I was very lucky then that the way the regulations changed um, and the government advice changed that it allowed nearly to go back to um, uh, back to normal in terms of the coaching but yeah it, it did highlight what an important aspect of coaching for me is activity design or, or game design mm. um, definitely yeah
0: and yeah it's interesting isn't it? Like, you know I love the fact that you said you were buzzing to be back Um, And it's almost, you said the kids were excited to be back, but I sense that actually perhaps you were as excited as they were to be back on the pitch and doing what you love.
1: Oh, totally. I mean, yeah, I I, um, really enjoyed being back out, seeing other coaches and getting a chat with other people. And I suspect there's lots of people probably in that boat where you've, you've been in and around your household for three, four months. And then all of a sudden there's somebody else to talk to. And not necessarily um, through a computer, which has been amazing. I don't know what we would have done without the internet um, over the last three or four months. But um, it's been great to do that. But yeah, just amazing just to see some other faces. And I know it, um, a guy from from work came here to pick up some equipment for a session he was doing on Saturday. Uh, and he came. In. All he needed to do was call the equipment. And an hour later, he's still here because just really pleased to see somebody else in, in the flesh and have a bit of a chat. Even though I've been speaking to him all the time through through digital means. Um, for the last three or four months so yeah I think there's definitely an element of just getting back out there and um, and it, you know in as controlled and safe an environment as we could create um, within the club um, thanks to the work of, of that Covid group who, who were sort of uh, putting all that together.
0: And I suppose that sort of links into you know to my other sort of um, what I'm curious about and questions and I guess a lot of coaches and sports clubs and probably other you know forms of activity will be noticing this as well you know how are you seeing people sort of turning back up in terms of you know on one level we've just talked about people being really excited and you know wanting to see people you know how are you sort of gauging or or what are you seeing in terms of maybe other responses in terms of nervousness to be back or you know how's that been in terms of getting things back as a club?
1: Yeah um, most people I think have been in that bracket of just really pleased to have something to get back to, um, to have some sort of social interaction and, and the vast, vast majority of have been in that boat. There's probably been a few parents, I would say more than the kids because, uh, I'm coaching eight year olds and social distancing doesn't really mean very much to them. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, maybe you can see a few parents are just a little bit nervous and just checking out what we're doing, um, as a club and to sort of, uh, ensure that we're you know, we're minimizing risk as, as best we can. And then uh, certainly from our group, uh, I think we were one parent um, who just wasn't ready, just not not in that place, to you know, to let their um, child go out. And I don't know, you know, I suppose for anybody, and it's the same, actually, we're talking now about return to our workplace. Uh, and people have such different responses to that in that you've got some people, and I'm probably in that boat just dying for that interaction of, of some people who so would really like to be back in an office, even if it is with restricted numbers and things. Uh, and then you have other people who, you know, could have people in the house or shielding or elderly parents who they need to look after, so they need to keep themselves out of the way or all those sorts of things. So, yeah, I, I guess you're going to have that in any in any group. You're going to have a few people who um, who we may not even really know all the reasons why their response is, is why there is. It, it may just be... Um, purely looking after the wellbeing of their child or there may be lots of other um, um, circumstances about themselves, their own health or, or maybe um, parents that they're looking after themselves and, and things. So yeah, the, the majority response has just been, yeah, absolutely amazing. And and parents have been so positive about uh, the work and it's really come down to three or four people really um, in the club who are sort of just known as our COVID group who have sorted all that out. Um, but really, really p- positive Maybe you know a small percentage, a little bit nervous, but you know still want to get back involved and, and um, want to get back on the pitch, and then a really really tiny minority um, who just aren't ready f- um, for that yet, which is which is fine as well.
0: And I think that you know that's what fascinate what fascinates me about you know the things that have arisen from your club perspective about you know from returning and you know the COVID side of things is this collaboration almost between your you know your experienced doctor and your software developer. In terms of, you know, contact tracing seems to be a bit of a, uh, I can't think of the word, but it's like a hot potato in terms of trying to find a positive solution. But it's, a, you know, in terms of managing that risk and, um, and also giving people peace of mind as well, it feels like what you've been able to do through sourcing and realising the skills and, and also I suppose those individuals realising they've got something that's incredibly valuable to the club at this point in time, to be able to create, create something. Um, in terms of what probably seems like quite a simple app, but I'm sure to develop it, it required um, much more brains and head-scratching to, to try and get it happening. Um, but to, just, I mean, not, I'm not asking you to give us the technical insights, but from a practical perspective in what you're asking people to do and what you have to do as, as people turning up to the club, how does that work for you?
1: Yeah, so, I mean, both both of those guys, uh, we've talked about their, their technical knowledge and their relevant professions they they both had made um massive contributions to the club um as coaches already or or committee members or one of them uh, one of them was actually a, a previous chair as well so they were certainly making a massive contribution regardless of this it's just that then they realized themselves actually okay we've got some knowledge here that can really help out in in, in this situation so um the, the the individual who's the um software developer we'll laugh if i started to technical responses around this but um from from the user end uh of the app um there's six questions which are um related to the six um symptoms of covid so you sort of self declare that you don't have any of those um, and then you put or your parent puts um if you're um one of the one of the young kids you put in your name details and things it takes the first time you do it, it probably takes 2 minutes and then it's all the, obviously your own details are all pre-populated any subsequent times that you go in. Um, so then when you turn up to the gate of the club, um, there's somebody standing with their phone and they will verify you as you come through the gate. And if you're if you're not on the list, they'll send you away until you are on the list. And obviously, because it's quite quick, it's not a big problem for somebody to stand and, and type in on their phone quickly there and then allow it in. But yeah, it's um, and then as I say, thankfully, and touch wood, uh, we won't get any, but and we've not had any reason to then go and find. Um, you know, we've not had a, somebody test positive and, and have to to go and contact those people yet to, to, um, to tell them. But um, yeah, if, if we did, then all the data is available um, to do that. And yeah, that's a, that's allowed the that's really allowed the club to start and get going and, and move. Uh, and without it, we would not be playing hockey at the moment. I
0: think you know that's a, you know I love this idea that you know there was a problem and people have come together to find a really creative but really simple user-friendly solution and I'm sure there's probably um, you know I, I went to my local cafe for example or local but and you have to write you know you're writing yes I'm here um, but all you're all you're leaving is your contact details um, just in case and you kind of think actually I wonder I wonder if you know you could there's a solution there that potentially could be quite helpful to not just sports clubs um,
1: yeah well that's that's actually been one of the interesting things and I say I'm not involved in this but as an observer um of it, that's been one of the interesting things because some other clubs and other sports and things have, have used the app and um, uh, and it's become a little bit of a fundraiser for the for the club in some ways but um, uh, there's also been like bars restaurants uh, and things taking it on as well because it sort of does their job for them so um yeah that's been that's been quite interesting to see that uh that transpire but yeah it, obviously the guys have a great deal of expertise but like um uh the story isn't it, about the plumber that goes in 30 seconds hits it's a, a knot and it's like you're not paying for the 30 seconds you're paying for the 30 years of knowing how to yeah. do that in 30 seconds and i suppose that's the same for the, for the guys in a way that the app they put together in like rapid time in a weekend really and then um uh, made some modifications as we started to use it, made some modifications over the next week or two and um, before it settled down. But yeah, it's an um, amazing skill set that people have and can bring to it.
0: And I suppose, you know, it, as we sort of draw to the, the close of this sort of half-hour conversation, I'm, I'm almost coming back to those, you know, opening quotes and, and thoughts in a sense of, you know, disruptors. So, you know, in one way, we have over the last six months, you know, been dealt this huge disruption which has changed and will continue to change life as we used to know it um and there, there almost has been no option to carry on as usual so the sort of yesterday's solutions really genuinely don't work today and it feels like um it's almost given this you know if the good things that come out of this for your club are that there's a, some passion and energy that people have rediscovered their enthusiasm for hockey and you've discovered more skill sets within the club Um, and maybe are able to, you know, instead of um, running, I don't know, end of season disco and raffle, whatever it might be, to raise funds, it's kind of, ah, actually, maybe there are other ways that we can start to support and invest in the club going forward. Um, So it kind of feels like some of these solutions may not have arisen had it not been for lockdown and everything else that's come with the COVID pandemic over the last six months.
1: Definitely, definitely. And I think even... I'd written a not. I'm not a very prolific blog writer, but I had written one, um, um, maybe a month or two into in COVID, from more from work perspective. Around, uh, I called it. I was a quote of a former line manager of mine. He used to say about the toothpaste being out of the tube. So once <laughs> things are done, you, you can't put it back in. Um, the uh, genie's out of the bottle. suppose some people might say, and I had written that, but from the perspective of the coach learning. So actually we've got so much online content and I know some people are probably drained of online content now and would love to be back face to face. And I would probably be one of those people. Um, but the way things have changed, like you know, the, the old traditional three hour workshop in a random leisure center in a random town somewhere, probably never going to happen again because actually people expect maybe a little bit more now that, um, you know, they, they absolutely, they might go to that leisure centre and do the practical aspect of that, but they'll expect, you know, if you're going to present something, that's going to come to them online or it's going to come to them in a blog or uh, and all those sorts of things. And, and that definitely given even us a testing ground as well there where we've talked about webinars, we've talked about blogs, we've talked about podcasts um, for four or five years and never done any of it. And all of a sudden, this comes along and you've no choice, you know, but to jump into that world. And, and that's been... I find that really enjoyable because it's something different and something new.
0: And I think, you know, I'll, I'll maybe just ask you in a second. um, So you've got a couple of seconds to think about what your final words might be. Um, I'll give you advance warning, but certainly I think what I'm taking from, from this conversation is, um, you know, this idea of, I suppose, two things, just that whole idea of setting the world on fire. So it's not about necessarily um, always finding those solutions. It's about, well, what are the sparks and what are the connections you can make and, you know, what is the, what are the env- environment you can put in place so that you marry the oxygen with the spark to create that fire? Oh, there's my limited knowledge of how fire and chemistry works. Um, but that idea of, you know, how do we create that spark that then goes on to light the fire? Um, but definitely this idea of, um, you know, we sometimes need things to be shifted and we need our um, the frame around what we know to just totally break in order for us to kind of have, It forces us to think differently and think about um, and recognise, I suppose, that we had got into habits and maybe sometimes they were quite easy habits to get into. Um, But now we really do have to think differently and think about, okay, how do we work in this new world and um, create things that are engaging, interesting, but also really importantly, safe. Um, and safe the word safe has such a different meaning now safe used to be you know have I got still got 20 kids when I finish the session and are you all injury free and nobody's got hit by a hockey stick whereas now the word safe means something totally different um and you know covid safe who thought that would be in our language six months ago um and I suppose last the, the last phrase I'm definitely taking away is be a lamp lifeboat or a ladder And that's definitely going to be in my head, I think, going forward. And, you know, which one am I going to be today? I don't know. I'll think about that. Um, But yeah, as ever, I invite my um, guests just to maybe have a few final reflections, whatever they may be, even if it's repeating something you've said or, um, you know, where we finish is up to you.
1: Yeah, Grant. So I think actually just building on your use of the lamp, lifeboat and ladder, I think, and it wasn't something I was thinking before we started the conversation at all, but, you know, I think in that, home we tend to think about how we can be those things and actually maybe through our conversation today it's been around who can be the lamp the lifeboat or the ladder for whatever situation it is our organization or sports club or whatever it happens to be you know who can be that person who can help us get there and the last one actually relates to the title of set the world on fire I don't know if it's just a Northern Ireland thing or this as well but so often we um, set the world on fire is normally preceded by we're not trying to set the world on fire here I don't know what maybe it is just us but um, definitely when I've looked at that um, and whether it's my own kids here or, or whatever it is it's, it's been well why not why why not um, I suppose that's nearly the start of that that poem as well it's around well, actually why not try to set the world on fire why not try to be as good as something can possibly be um, rather than just the, why you know just carry on and, and have it as normal so yeah it's why not set the world on fire is probably the, the change from we're not trying to set the world on fire
0: fabulous so on that note thank you simon for your time and um let's go see what fires we can create and the, the rest of this week and on into the future
1: brilliant thanks jen thank
0: you you have been listening to the coffee and conversation podcast the podcast that celebrates great people making amazing things happen my thanks again to my guest, Simon Tool, and also to you for listening. Until the next time, take care.